Section seventy four of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk, Part seventy four. Meeting of Thieves. As a further proof, however, of the demoralizing influences of the low lodging houses, I will now conclude my investigations into the subject with a report of the meeting of vagrants which I convened for the express purpose of consulting them generally upon several points which had come under my notice in the course of my inquiries. The Chronicle reporter's account of this meeting was as follows. A meeting of an unprecedented character was held at the British Union schoolroom, Shakespeare Walk, Shadwell, on Monday evening last. The use of the schoolroom was kindly granted by Mr. Fletcher, the proprietor, to whose liberality we stand indebted for many similar favours. It was convened by our Metropolitan Correspondent for the purpose of assembling together some of the lowest class of male juvenile thieves and vagabonds who infest the metropolis and the country at large, and although privately called, at only two days' notice, by the distribution of tickets of admission among the class in question, at the various haunts and dens of infamy to which they resort, no fewer than one hundred and fifty of them attended on the occasion. The only condition to entitle the parties to admission was that they should be vagrants and under twenty years of age. They had all assembled some time before the hour for commencing the proceedings arrived, and never was witnessed a more distressing spectacle of squalor, rags, and wretchedness. Some were young men, and some mere children, one who styled himself a cadger was six years of age and several who confessed themselves prigs were only ten the countenances of the boys were of various characters many were not only good-looking but had a frank ingenuous expression that seemed in no way connected with innate roguery many on the other hand had the deep-sunk and half-averted eye which are so characteristic of natural dishonesty and cunning some had the regular features of lads born of parents in easy circumstances the hair of most of the lads was cut very close to the head showing their recent liberation from prison indeed one might tell by the comparative length of the crop the time that each boy had been out of jail all but a few of the elder boys were remarkable amidst the rags filth and wretchedness of their external appearance for the mirth and carelessness impressed upon their countenances at first their behaviour was very noisy and disorderly coarse and ribald jokes were freely cracked exciting general bursts of laughter while howls catcalls and all manner of unearthly and indescribable yells threatened for some time to render the object of the meeting utterly abortive at one moment a lad would imitate the bray of a jackass and immediately the whole hundred and fifty would fall to braying then some ragged urchin would crow like a cock, whereupon the place would echo again with a hundred and fifty cock-crows. Then, as a black boy entered the room, one of the young vagabonds would shout out, Sweep! This would be received with peals of laughter, and followed by a general repetition of the same cry. Next, a hundred and fifty catcalls of the shrillest possible description would almost split the ears. These would be succeeded by cries of, Strike up, you catgut scrapers! Go on with your barrow! Flare up, my never-sweats! And a variety of other street sayings. 
indeed the uproar which went on before the meeting began will be best understood if we compare it to the scene presented by a public menagerie at feeding time the greatest difficulty as might be expected was experienced in collecting the subjoined statistics of their character and condition by a well-contrived and persevering mode of inquiry however the following facts were elicited with respect to their ages the youngest boy present was six years old he styled himself a cadger and said that his mother who is a widow and suffering from ill health sends him into the streets to beg there were seven of ten years of age three of twelve three of thirteen ten of fourteen ten of fifteen eleven of sixteen twenty of seventeen twenty-six of eighteen and forty-five of nineteen nineteen had fathers and mothers still living thirty-nine had only one parent and eighty were orphans in the fullest sense of the word having neither father nor mother alive of professed beggars there were fifty and sixty-six who acknowledged themselves to be habitual thieves the announcement that the greater number present were thieves pleased them exceedingly and was received with three rounds of applause twelve of the youths assembled had been in prison once two of these were but ten years of age five had been in prison twice three thrice four four times seven five times eight six times five seven times four eight times two nine times one of them thirteen years of age five ten times five twelve times two thirteen times three fourteen times two sixteen times three seventeen times two eighteen times five twenty times six twenty four times one twenty five times one twenty six times and one twenty nine times the announcements in reply to the questions as to the number of times that any of them had been in prison were received with great applause which became more and more boisterous as the number of imprisonments increased when it was announced that one though only nineteen years of age had been in prison as many as twenty-nine times the clapping of hands the catcalls and shouts of bravo lasted for several minutes and the whole of the boys rose to look at the distinguished individual some chalked on their hats the figures which designated the sum of the several times that they had been in jail as to the causes of their vagabondism it was found that twenty-two had run away from their homes owing to the ill-treatment of their parents eighteen confessed to have been ruined through their parents allowing them to run wild in the streets and to be led astray by bad companions and fifteen acknowledged that they had been first taught thieving in a lodging-house concerning the vagrant habits of the youths the following facts were elicited seventy-eight regularly roam through the country every year sixty-five sleep regularly in the casual wards of the unions and fifty-two occasionally slept in trampers lodging-houses throughout the country respecting their education according to the popular meaning of the term sixty-three of the one hundred and fifty were able to read and write and they were principally thieves fifty of this number said that they had read jack shepherd and the lives of dick turpin claude duval and all the other popular thieves novels as well as the newgate calendar and lives of the robbers and pirates those who could not read themselves said they'd had jack shepherd read to them at the lodging-houses numbers avowed that they had been induced to resort to an abandoned course of life 
from reading the lives of notorious thieves and novels about highway robbers. When asked what they thought of Jack Shepherd, several bawled out, He's a regular brick! A sentiment which was almost universally concurred in by the deafening shouts and plaudits which followed. When asked whether they would like to be Jack Shepherds, they answered, Yes, if the times was the same now as they were then. Thirteen confessed that they had taken to thieving in order to go to the low theatres, and one lad said he had lost a good situation on the Birmingham Railway through his love of the play. Twenty stated they had been flogged in prison, many of them two, three, and four different times. A policeman in plain clothes was present, but their acute eyes were not long before they detected his real character, notwithstanding his disguise. Several demanded that he should be turned out. The officer was accordingly given to understand that the meeting was a private one, and requested to withdraw. Having apologized for intruding, he proceeded to leave the room, and no sooner did the boys see the policeman move towards the door than they gave vent to several rounds of very hearty applause, accompanied with hisses, groans, and cries of, "'Throw him over!' The process of interrogating them in the mass having been concluded, the next step was to call several of them separately to the platform, to narrate in their peculiar style and phraseology the history of their own career, together with the causes which had led them to take up a life of dishonesty. The novelty of their position as speech-makers seemed peculiarly exciting to the speakers themselves, and provoked much merriment and interest amongst the lads. Their antics and buffoonery in commencing their addresses were certainly of the most ludicrous character. The first speaker, a lad seventeen years of age, ascended the platform, dressed in a torn, wide-awake hat and a dirty smock-frock. He began, Gentlemen, note, immense applause and laughter, end note, I am a Brummagen lad, note, laughter, end note. My father has been dead three years, and my mother seven. When my father died, I had to go and live along with my aunt. I fell out of employment, and went round about the town, and fell into the company of a lot of chaps, and went picking ladies' pockets. Then I was in prison once or twice, and I came to London, and have been in several prisons here. I have been in London three years, but I have been out of it several times in that time. I can't get anything honest to do and I wish I could get something at sea or in any foreign land. I don't care what or where it is. Note, cheers and yells. End note. Another lad, about sixteen, clad in a ragged coat, with a dirty face and matted hair, next came forward and said, My father was a soldier, and when I growed up to about ten years, I joined the regiment as a drummer in the Grenadier Guards. I went on and got myself into trouble, till at last I got turned away, and my father left the regiment. I then went out with some more chaps and went thieving, and have been thieving about two years now. Note, several voices, very good, that's beautiful, I hope you do it well. End note. The third boy, who stated that he had been twenty-four times in prison, said he belonged to Hendon in Middlesex, and that his father left his mother seventeen years ago, and he did not know whether he was dead or alive. He went to Christchurch school for some time, but afterwards picked up with bad companions, and went a thieving. He went to school again, but again left it, to go a thieving and cadging with bad companions. He had been doing that for the last five years, and if he could get out of it, 
he would be very glad to leave it. Note, cheers. End note. The fourth lad, who was received with loud cheering, evidently indicating that he was a well-known character, said he came from the city of York and was a farrier. His father died a few years ago, and then he took to work, but the play led him on to be a thief, and from that time to the present he had done nothing but beg or thieve. If he could go to Australia he would be very glad, as if he stopped in England he feared he should do nothing but thieve to the end. Note, laughter, with cries of, well done, very well spoken, end note. The next speaker was about eighteen years of age, and appeared a very sharp, intelligent lad. After making a very grave but irresistibly comical prefatory bow, by placing his hand at the back of his head, and so, as it were, forcing it to give a nod, he proceeded, My father is an engineer's labourer, and the first cause of my thieving was that he kept me without grub and walloped me. Note, laughter, end note. Well, I was at work at the same time that he was, and I kept pilfering, and at last they bowled me out. Note, loud cheers, end note. I got a showing up, and at last they turned me away, and not liking to go home to my father, I ran away. I went to Margate, where I had some friends, with a shilling in my pocket. I never stopped till I got to Ramsgate, and I had no lodging except under the trees, and had only the bits of bread I could pick up. When I got there, my grandfather took me in and kept me for a twelvemonth. My mother's brother's wife had a spite against me, and tried to get me turned away. I did not know what thieving was then, and I used to pray that her heart might be turned, because I did not know what would become of me if my grandfather turned me away. But she got other people to complain of me, and say I was a nuisance to the town, but I knowed there was no fault in me. But, however, my grandfather said he could put up with me no longer, and turned me away. So after that I came back to London and goes to the Union. The first night I went there I got tore up. Note, cheers and laughter. End note. Everything was torn off my back, and the bread was taken away from me, and because I said a word I got well walloped. Note, renewed laughter. End note. They small-ganged me, and afterwards I went seven days to prison because others tore my clothes. When I went in there, this was the first time, a man said to me, What are you here for? I said, For tearing up. The man said to another, What are you here for? And the other made answer, For a handkerchief. The man then said, Oh, that's something like. And he said to me, Why are you not a thief? You will only get to prison for that. I said, I will. Well, after that I went pilfering small things, worth a penny or twopence at first but I soon saw better things were as easy to be got as them, so I took them. Note, laughter, end note. I picked up with one that knowed more than me. He fairly kept me for some time, and I learnt as well as him. I picked him up in a London workhouse. After that I thought I would try my friends again, and I went to my uncle at Dover, but he could do nothing for me, so I got a place at a butcher's, where I fancied myself fairly blessed, for I had two shillings a week and my board and washing. I kept a twelve-month there, honest, without thieving. At last my master and I fell out, and I left again, so I was forced to come up to London, and there I found my old companions in the Smithfield pens. They were not living anywhere. I used to go to the workhouse, and used to tear up and refuse to work, and used to get sent to the quad, and I used to curse the day when it was my turn to go out. The governor of the prison used to say he hoped he wouldn't see my face there again, but I used to answer. I shall be here again to-night, because it's the only place I've got. 
that's all i've got to say the next lad who said he had been fourteen times in prison was a taller cleaner and more intelligent-looking youth than any that had preceded him after making a low affected bow over the railing to the company below and uttering a preliminary ahem or two with the most ludicrous mock gravity he began by saying i am a native of london my father is a poor labouring man with fifteen shillings a week little enough i think to keep a home for four and find candlelight note laughter end note i was at work looking after a boiler at a paper stainer's in old street road at six shillings a week when one night they bowled me out i got the sack and a bag to take it home in note laughter end note i got my wages and ran away from home but in four days being hungry and having no money i went back again i got a toweling but it did not do me much good my father did not like to turn me out of doors so he tied me to the leg of the bedstead note laughter end note he tied my hands and feet so that i could hardly move but i managed somehow to turn my gob mouth round and gnawed it away i run downstairs and got out at the back door and over a neighbour's wall and never went home for nine months i never bolted with anything i never took anything that was too hot for me the captain of a man-of-war about this time took me into his service where i remained five weeks till i took a fever and was obliged to go to the hospital when i recovered the captain was gone to africa and not liking to go home i stepped away and have been from home ever since i was in brummagem and was seven days in the new stir prison and nearly broke my neck when i came out i fell into bad company and went cadging and have been cadging ever since but if i could leave off and go to the isle of dogs the isle of man or the isle of woman note laughter end note or any other foreign place i would embrace the opportunity as soon as i could and if so be that any gentleman would take me in hand and send me out i would be very thankful to him indeed and so good night note cheers end note a dirty little boy fourteen years of age dressed in a big jacket next stood forward he said his father was a man of war's man and when he came home from sea once his father his mother and all of them got drunk the lad then stole fourpence from his father's pocket after this when he was sent for sixpenny rum he used to fetch fourpenny and for fourpenny gin threepenny and for fourpenny beer he used to fetch threepenny and keep the difference to himself his mother used to sell fruit and when she left him at the stall he used to eat what he could not sell and used to sell some to get marbles and buttons once he stole a loaf from a baker's shop the man let him off but his father beat him for it the beating did him no good after that he used to go smugging note running away with end note other people's things then one day his father caught him and tied his leg to the bedstead and left him there till he was pretty near dead he ran away afterwards and has been thieving ever since a lad about twenty was here about to volunteer a statement concerning the lodging-houses by which he declared he had been brought to his ruin but he was instantly assailed with cries of come down hold your tongue and these became so general and were in so menacing a tone that he said he was afraid to make any disclosures because he believed if he did so he would have perhaps two or three dozen of the other chaps on to him note great confusion end note mr mayhew spoke will it hurt any of you here if he says anything against the lodging-houses 
Note. Yes, yes. End note. How will it do so? A voice spoke. They will not allow stolen property to come into them if it is told. Mr. Mayhew spoke. But would you not all gladly quit your present course of life? Note. Yes, yes, yes. End note. Then why not have the lodging-house system, the principal cause of all your misery, exposed? A voice spoke. If they shut up the lodging-houses, where are we to go? If a poor boy gets to the workhouse, he catches a fever, and is starved into the bargain. Mr. Mayhew spoke. Are not you all tired of the lives you now lead? Note. Vociferous cries of, yes, yes, we wish to better ourselves from all parts of the room. End note. However much you dread the exposure of the lodging-houses, you know, my lads, as well as I do, that it is in them you meet your companions, and ruin, if not begun there, is at least completed in such places. If a boy runs away from home, he is encouraged there, and kept secreted from his parents. And do not the parties who keep these places grow rich on your degradation and your peril? Note, loud cries of, yes, yes, end note then why don't you all come forward now, and by exposing them to the public, who know nothing of the iniquities and vice practised in such places, put an end to these dens at once? There is not one of you here, not one at least of the elder boys, who has found out the mistake of his present life, who would not, I verily believe, become honest and earn his living by his industry if he could. You might have thought a roving life a pleasant thing enough at first, but you now know that a vagabond's life is full of suffering, care, peril, and privation. You are not so happy as you thought you would be, and are tired and disgusted with your present course. This is what I hear from you all. Am I not stating the fact? Note. Renewed cries of yes, 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 and a voice, the fact of it is, sir, we don't see our folly till it is too late. End note. Now I and many hundreds and thousands really wish you well, and would gladly do anything we could to get you to earn an honest living. All, or nearly all, your misery, I know, proceeds from the low lodging-houses. Note. Yes, yes, it does, master, it does. End note. And I am determined, with your help, to effect their utter destruction. Note. A voice. I'm glad of it, sir. You're quite right, and I pray God to assist you. End note. The elder boys were then asked what they thought would be the best mode of effecting their deliverance from their present degraded position. Some thought emigration the best means, for if they started afresh in a new colony, they said they would leave behind them their bad characters, which closed every avenue to employment against them at home. Others thought there would be difficulties in obtaining work in the colonies in sufficient time to prevent their being driven to support themselves by their old practices. Many again thought the temptations which surrounded them in England rendered their reformation impossible, whilst many more considered that the same temptations would assail them abroad which existed at home. Mr. Mayhew then addressed them on another point. He said he had seen many notorious thieves in the course of his investigations. Since then he had received them at all hours into his house, men of the most desperate and women of the most abandoned characters, but he had never lost a sixpennyworth of his property by them. One thief he had entrusted with a sovereign to get changed, and the lad returned and gave him back the full amount in silver. He had since gone out to America. 
now he would ask all those present whether if he were to give them a sovereign they would do the same note several voices here called out that they would and others that they would not others again said that they would to him but to no one else End note. here one of the most desperate characters present a boy who had been twenty-six times in prison was singled out from the rest and a sovereign given to him to get changed in order to make the experiment whether he would have the honesty to return the change or abscond with it in his possession he was informed on receiving it that if he chose to decamp with it no proceedings should be taken against him he left the room amid the cheers of his companions and when he had been absent a few moments all eyes were turned towards the door each time it opened anxiously expecting his arrival to prove his trustworthiness never was such interest displayed by any body of individuals they mounted the forms in their eagerness to obtain the first glimpse of his return it was clear that their honour was at stake and several said they would kill the lad in the morning if he made off with the money many minutes elapsed in almost painful suspense and some of his companions began to fear that so large a sum of money had proved too great a temptation for the boy at last however a tremendous burst of cheering announced the lad's return the delight of his companions broke forth again and again in long and loud peals of applause and the youth advanced amidst triumphant shouts to the platform and gave up the money in full the assemblage was then interrogated as to the effect of flogging as a punishment and the general feeling appeared to be that it hardened the criminal instead of checking his depravity and excited the deadliest enmity in his bosom at the time towards the person inflicting it when asked whether they had seen any public executions they almost all cried out that they had seen manning and his wife hung others said that they had seen rush and sarah thomas executed they stated that they liked to go a death hunting after seeing one or two executed it hardened them to it and at last they all got to thieve under the gallows they felt rather shocked at the sight of an execution at first but after a few repetitions it soon wore off before the meeting broke up several other lads expressed a strong desire to make statements a young man eighteen years of age and of a miserable and ragged appearance said he first left home from bad usage and could not say whether it was the same with his sister or not but she left home about nine months ago when he met her while he was getting his living as a costermonger with the stock money that he had rather than she should be driven to prostitution and the streets he bought as many things as he could to furnish a room this exhausted his stock money and then his furniture had to go a little at a time to support him and his sister in food after this he was obliged to take a furnished room which put him to greater expense to keep her off the streets he was compelled to thieve his father if he ever had the feeling of a christian would never have treated him as he had done could a father he asked have any feeling who chained his son up by the leg in a shed as his father had done to him and fed him on bread and water for one entire month and then after chaining him up all day still chain him in bed at night this it was that drove him into the streets at first it was after his mother died and he had a stepmother that his father treated him thus his mother-in-law treated him as well as his father if he had been a transport he could not have been treated worse he told his father that he was driving him on the road to transportation but he took no notice of it 
and he was obliged to leave his roof. He had been in Newgate since. A little boy dressed in the garb of a sailor came up to Mr. Mayhew crying bitterly and implored him to allow him to say a word. He stated, I am here starving all my time. Last night I was out in the cold and nearly froze to death. When I got up I was quite stiff and could hardly walk. I slept in Whitechapel under a form where they sell meat. I was an apprentice on board of a fishing smack and ran away because I was ill-treated. After I ran away I broke into my master's house because I was hungry. He gave me twelve months and now he is in the union himself. He failed in business and got broken up. I have been out of prison three months, starving, and I would rather do anything than thieve. If I see a little thing I take it, because I can't get anything to eat without it. Note, here the child, still weeping piteously, uncovered his breast and showed his bones starting through his skin. He said he was anxious to get out of the country. End note. The following statement respecting the lodging-houses was made, after the others had left, by another lad. He left home when about thirteen, and never thieved before that. His father was dead, and his mother was unable to keep him. He got a situation and held it for three years and nine months, until he picked up with a man from a lodging-house, and through keeping late hours he was obliged to leave his place and sleep in a lodging-house himself. The lodging-house is in Short's Gardens. This he considered to have been the commencement of his downfall. About forty thieves lived in the house, and they brought in stolen property of every description, and the deputies received it, and took it to other people to sell it again, and get the price and pay the thieves. They got double as much as the thieves did, or else they would have nothing to do with it. Several housebreakers lived at the house, and he heard them plan the robbery of Bull and Wilson, the woollen drapers in St. Martin's Lane. One of the men secreted himself in the house in the daytime, and the other two were admitted by him at night. If he had stated this at the meeting, the persons present would have killed him. He was sure that more might be done by giving proper encouragement to virtue and by reforming the criminal than by rigorous prosecution. He said, with tears in his eyes, that he should be very willing and happy to work for an honest living if he could only get it to do. He showed a letter of recommendation for good conduct to his former master, and a Bible, both of which had been given him by the chaplain of the jail, which he had just left, after undergoing an imprisonment of twelve months. It was useless, he said, for a young man like him to apply to the parish for relief. He might just as well stand in the street and talk to a lamp-post. Then what was a man to do after he left prison? He must go a-thieving to live. He was persuaded that if there was an institution to give employment to the homeless, the friendless, and the penniless, after being liberated from prison, it would be the means of rescuing thousands. The proceedings then terminated. The assemblage, which had become more rational and manageable towards the close, dispersed quite peaceably, it should be added, and the boys were evidently sincerely grateful for the efforts being made to bring their misfortunes before the notice of those in whose power it may be to alleviate them. Before they were dismissed, as much money was dispensed to each as would defray his night's lodging. End of section 74